What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 105 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I know my passion every episode is that you get a takeaway, that there's something that our guest shares that you go, that was for me. And I think every episode, there's always one, many times, There's lots, and I know as I'm taking notes, as I'm doing the interview, I am just walking away so many times with just absolute leadership gold. Coach Dykes in the last episode made a statement. I've I've marinated it on this. I've shared it with so many friends, and the statement was, good leaders, good coaches see the problem. Every coach sees the problem. The great ones know how to fix it. And boy, that's true in every walk of life. And I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about, boy, is is it true of my life? How quickly I can see a problem, but do I have answers? Am I able to get them pointed in the right direction? So, so good. I hope this podcast adds value to your leadership journey. I hope it adds value and is worth every time an episode comes out that you download it and you listen to it. So let me stop here today. If you have never subscribed to the episode, boy, stop right now and do that, would you? Would you subscribe to the episode? And uh, man, that way you never miss one when it hits. It's It's really the best way to keep up. Secondly, boy, if you wouldn't mind sharing it, share it with a friend. If there's something that hits you, boy, share that episode with a friend and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to, leave a rating and review. It sure helps others find their way to us. Well, in this episode, I get to sit down with another legend and literal living legend in the world of softball. She was a player at UCLA helped them win their very first national championship in 1982 before they won 11 more national championships in softball. She was a five-time All-American. After her collegiate career, she played in the 96-2000 Olympics, helping the USA win gold in both. Also appeared in five Pan American Games, helping the team win the gold medal in all of them. She was voted the NCAA Player of the Decade for the 1980s. She finally retired from softball in 2000, and you know what you found out about Dot Richardson? She was just beginning. And boy, she has made a huge contribution, not only on the field for our country, but off the field in our country. Well, a few years ago, she got the call to get back in the world of softball. Liberty University, my alma mater, called her, and she has guided the resurgence of that softball program. She's led the team to 216 wins, three 40-win seasons, and is doing as a coach what she did as a player. She's leaving the field 
better than she found it. And I'm telling you, you're going to love this conversation. Dot not only has an incredible passion for the game of softball and life, she's got an equal passion for who Jesus is and why he matters in your day-to-day journey. You are going, I got off this call so fired up. I think you're going to love it. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing, but I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Coach Dot Richardson. Well, Coach Richardson, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for having me. Oh, this is fun. This is going to be a fun conversation. I want to go back 10 years old. You're a little girl playing catch with your brother, and that day became a game-changing day for you. You want to share a little of the story about how things began to open up from that day of playing catch? Well, when I was a little girl, I knew that God had given me a gift in athletics. I knew it because I just loved it so much and was pretty good at it. I mean, the boys would pick me first for their pickup games after school. So I have two older sisters and then I have an older brother, younger brother. So my older brother's friends, I mean, we'd have pickup games of soccer and, you know, baseball and you name it, whatever it would be. But the problem was I had to watch my brother's play little league baseball because girls were not allowed to play any organized sports and my dad would coach them. So he let me be the bat girl, just kind of to satisfy me a little bit, but it was very frustrating. And so when I'd say my prayers at night, I said, heavenly father, why did you give me this talent without any opportunities? And I take the time to say that because many times in our lives, we say that But we realize that, uh, you know, God is holy, he's the almighty, and he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And we think we know what our purpose is, right? And that we can control it. Um, But really, it's about trusting him and giving it to him. And I learned that very early on. And that was at the age of 10, as you mentioned. My older brother got a brand new catcher's mitt, and he wanted it broken in before his little league game. So we, we, we were right behind the bleachers, you know, and I was firing a fastball and it was kind of interesting because he knew who had the fastest fastball right (laughs) (laughs) so so I'm breaking in his brand new catcher's mitt and you know it's amazing what God puts within us because my mind was imagining I was a major league baseball Mm. pitcher Mike I couldn't even play little league right but here's I'm just imagining and I believe that God wants us to dream big Mm. right I mean it I just fired that fastball and I can still hear the pop of that brand new catcher's mitt. And the game before my brother's game, it had ended and a coach immediately came out and he came over to me and he said, wow, you got a great arm. How would you like to play on my little league baseball team? So here my prayers were answered, right? I knew that God had heard my prayer. And then he looked at me and he said, well, we're going to have to cut your hair really short and we got to give you a boy's name. We're going to call you Bob. So I was so close to, you know, living the dreams, if you would, you know, thinking here's going to be my destiny and in baseball, a sport I really loved, but I would have disguised myself as a boy. Mm. 
And I looked at him and as much as I wanted to seize that opportunity, I just felt it wasn't right. Mm. And I told him, I said, sir, thank you, but no, thank you. If I have to hide who I am, I just don't feel it's right. And so as I walked away, yes, I was a little dejected, of course, but remember to this point in my life, I've always heard, well, too bad you're born a girl and good at sports. And as I walked away, I saw a friend of mine, Sunday Brown, and she was a good athlete as well. And she said, hey, you want to play catch? And of course, it's baseball catch. That's all I know. And we go to this field because there was some team on the infield, but I now, now know it was a slow pitch softball field. And we were way in right field getting out of the way, right? And we're playing baseball catch. So then this other coach comes running up to me and he said, wow, you got a great arm. How would you like to, you know, talk to our head coach for a minute? And I was like, sure. And I'm thinking deja vu. Yep. This was within 30 minutes mm. of this baseball coach telling me I'd have to disguise who I am, right? In order to play the sport I loved. So I started walking from right field with this coach to first base and I look on the infield and no longer are there boys there, they're women. And as I rounded home plate heading to first, out from the first, the third base heading to third, out from the third base dugout came the head coach. And it wasn't a man, it was a woman. And these had kind of shocked me to this point in my life. And she said, "How have you ever played softball? And I said, no, what is it? And she goes, it's just like baseball, but the ball's a little bigger. Get on third base and take a few ground balls. So I went to third base and I'm fielding these ground balls and firing it around, you know, to first base. And I just felt like I belonged. It just felt right. Mm. And she called me over and said, how would you like to play on my fast pitch softball team? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'd love to. And to myself, <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, the ball's just a little bigger. Right. But I was like, yeah. And she goes, how old are you anyway? And when I told her I was 10 years old, she almost died. The average age of that team was probably 22. Unbelievable. And they're called the Union Park Jets and foreshadowing the colors were red, white, and blue. And Mike, I, I look back at that time and I have to tell you, I learned so many life lessons at that moment that I know God was teaching me and preparing me for the future. Mm. One is I know that God has a sense of humor. That's right. How do I know that? Because years later, I married a Bob. <laughs> can you believe that i love that number two is i realized to continue to trust him mm. uh that he's going to open the doors of opportunities for you and just be ready and also three would be discernment is to know do i really have to compromise what i believe in and who god has made me to be right do i really have to compromise no um and then the fourth big lesson that I learned uh, was that God has a purpose for all of us. And how do I know that? The next year when Title IX came into effect in our neighborhood of Union Park, Sunday Brown became the first girl to play Little League Baseball. Wow. And I, just as a side note, just for those listening, God is so amazing. I mean... After the 96 Olympics, I was asked to throw out the first pitch and it was in Atlanta and 
originally was in New York and I had to say no, you know, just because I was in my residency program. And when we're doing surgery and the guys are talking about the World Series of the Yankees and the Atlanta Braves, right? I was like, just to make conversation, I said, hey, they asked me to throw out the first pitch and they looked, it's like surgery stopped and they looked and said, well, what are you doing here? Why aren't you throwing out the first pitch? I said, because I'm here with you. That's right. That's right. And they said, no, you got to do that. That's once in a lifetime. I said, really? So I called my, you know, my agent and uh, he set it up. And instead of New York, I was flown to Atlanta. And here I am before the World Series game in 1996. I'm on the mound, right in front of the mound, throwing out the first pitch and imagining as a 10-year-old girl, Mm. the dream of being a major league baseball pitcher and the Lord gave me a moment in front of 60,000 fans of firing a fastball and hearing the pop of that mitt mm. on a major league baseball field. That is incredible. That is incredible. And we could have used you to close one of those games and we'd have had another World Series title in Atlanta. We needed you. <laughs> we needed you to save that fastball for late innings off Layritz. That's what we needed that year. Oh my goodness. It was funny. It was funny because when the catcher was like, wow, that's a nice pitch, you know, that's a strike. And I was like, I've been waiting my whole life for that moment. And he just like started laughing. We had a good time. I love that. So here's this little girl who finds she has a gift. You've also got the gift that that your family, I'm assuming, have planted in your heart of your faith. Tell me a little bit about your early faith journey to be able to make a decision like you did at that age, not knowing all the facts, not understanding everything. Tell me a little bit about your faith journey and how all that came to be for you. Well, I always knew the Lord um, as far back as I can remember. I mean, I go back to five years of age and um, just remember going to church, you know, with family. And, um, and then I remember the first Bible my parents got me, it was the children's book, you know, the Brown big thick book and reading about King Solomon and, uh, with the two mothers, you know, and the baby and sharing that with my best friend, Mike and reading that. But I think the reason is because I saw Christ live mm. through my mom, That's you know, cool. my mom and my dad. But my mom, particularly, because my dad worked, he was in the Air Force, and most of my days were spent, you know, with, you know, my mom and and brothers. And, you know, it's, we can talk about our faith, but man, when you show it, yeah. when you show it, I mean, actions speak louder than words. And, mm-hmm. and with my mom, how she just so much showed the love she had for the Lord and you look at just the blessings of we had like, you know, no money, very little, but boy, we felt so rich, you know, so blessed. Mm -hmm. And my mom just taking care of others, a servant heart that she had, not just with us kids, but everyone around and, you know, having great grandparents live with us and her taking care of them at the end of their lives. And, you know, and grandparents involved and just, with the community and just the love and how she spoke, you knew that the Holy spirit, Mm. you know, was with her. Um, so that started my journey, you know, all of us as young, you know, young kids, we don't want to let our parents down and we're so influenced by them. And it was through my parents that I not only got to learn about the Lord, you know, just through Sunday school and, and school and church, 
but more so in the roof in which I lived under, you know, with them. What did they do well? So they've got a young daughter. They're they're doing an incredible job pouring the Lord and showing the Lord as much as anything into you. What did they do well when they saw you had this gift? You had this gift of softball. How did they how did they handle that? Well, it's interesting. I'd ask my mom, I said, you know, mom, why can't I play Little League baseball? And she'd say, well, because when you strike out all the boys, the parents aren't going to be able to handle it. <laughs> what a great answer. It was. When you think about it, she said, I know that you've been given a gift mm. and this is something special, but it's almost like the world isn't ready for it, you know, and, but they believed in me so much. Mm. And when you look at my career, it was evident. One, to say yes, that I could play with the Union Park Jets, a women's class A team right below the women's major level. And we competed against the Orlando Rebels, which was a a women's major level in our sport. That's like Major League Baseball. And, And that is what opened the door of opportunity for me to become the youngest girl to ever play women's majors because they saw me when we competed against them. Uh, But you look at just at 13 years of age to be the youngest player to ever play women's major ball with the Orlando Rebels, my parents saying yes, when the average age of that team was probably 26, Mm. to travel at a month at a time, you know, at 13 with 15 women that was like, you know, 15 moms, you know. But I also realized too, you know, it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It really matters how good are you. Yep. Right? And we owe the Lord with the gifts he's been given us to reach our full potential with it because those gifts are meant to be shared. And I remember after my first game at 13 years of age, um, a guy came up to me and he said, wow, I'd love to watch you play. Because when I do, I feel more alive, Mm. right? Like, like people recognize when, when God has given you these gifts and it's not just as an athlete, you know, and that was my first autograph. I remember it was kind of funny, but um, we would play in front of thousands of people. And if you are not grounded in trusting the Lord and the gifts he's given you, right. You can get all caught up in trying to please the world. Right. Um, but I was just, because of my background, being denied the opportunity to play, when I had a chance, whether it's practice or a game, Mike, I lived every second. I never took anything for granted. I was on fire to just thank the Lord for the opportunity I had. And I knew he had given it to me. What if I, and you, you, you're in the coaching world. We're going to get into this a little bit later. You're in the coaching world. Now you deal with great athletes and you deal with parents. I want to hit pause there at that part of your story of what your parents did so well, because you, you, everybody sees you on the platform and we're going to talk about your incredible career, but what people oftentimes don't see is those people that were making it happen behind the scenes. What advice would you give to young parents now they have children in athletics or children in the fine arts and and they're going I want to do it right I don't want to screw this thing up you deal with them you have to deal with them in recruiting all the time what are what are some tips you would give parents uh, 
of what what they could do for their children that their children really do need from them? What would you say? Make sure that your child, your children, know that you love them unconditionally. I knew whether I played sports or not, my parents loved me. I knew whether I hit a home run or struck out, they loved me. The other thing I would say is that keep open dialogue with them and think about things they might be going through and hit it off at the past before it happens. For example, to say, there is nothing that can happen to you that you cannot come and talk to me about. That's good. Because I've been there, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have as a parent. Let them know. Um, the other thing you've got to let them know about God, they've got to understand it because Satan is real. You know, fallen from grace, you know, the deceiver, you know, his whole as a rebellion against God, that Satan is in this world and it is real. And I've been studying the book of Revelation and jumping into prophecy, especially now with COVID and and these things that have been going on in the world. But, you know, you have to be able to dive into his word and be able to talk to your children about temptation and not just look at the world as a physical world. There's a spiritual battle going on and we can try and, you know, have spiritual blindness, but it's going to hit you in the face. Um, Right now, it is so obvious when you look and you see decisions that are made and where society is going that it is leading towards where Satan wants it. And, you know, it is, it's real. And if we do not arm our children with the armor of God and the protection that is needed, then they're going to lose the biggest battle of their souls. That's so good. And that is such great advice because we can, it is so easy in our world and you nailed it to get caught up in the things that don't matter and to get caught up in the things my children now are 26 and 23. So they're on the other side of this. And and I look back at those parenting days and you're like, man, I, I focused, I majored on minors a lot of time and minored on the majors. And so that is really good advice. That is really good advice. Well, think you, about it, Mike, because nobody talks about, Satan, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, That's right. oh no, we don't want to scare anyone. You, it's when you go into a game, are you not scouting your opponent? That's right. Do you not know the game plan of your adversary? Right. And I'm speaking now with our team and going through, you know, I wanted to jump into the rapture and revelation, but I realized I had a stronger foundation I needed to give them. And parents, you have such an opportunity to be able to influence your children in a way that will let them realize truly what giving into sin means and, you know, what temptation is really about. And are you, like Jesus Christ said, are you for me or against me? Mm. You know, it's, it is a battle. It is a, a bigger than a game, but it's a competition. And what side are you on? And you can't just waffle back and forth, but we all have to understand we all fall short of the glory of God. We all have a sinful nature because in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when Satan, I mean, this, this deceiver, the great deceiver even took a third of the angels with him, right? The fallen angels, the deception that is there once when we have God, but yet we have 
Satan's temptation and choose the temptation over God, that's where the fall of man happened, yep. right? That's when sin entered the world. We, you know, t- Adam knew what the consequences were going to be from eating that forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The one command he was given and how often we're going to fall short because we are a sinful nature, but boy, at least as Christians, as knowing and, and knowing the Lord and as a follower, that we're going to recognize its That's sin right. as fast as we can and ask forgiveness and repent and try not to do it. And we do less and less as our, as our relationship gets stronger and stronger. And parents have that influence. And I see through the years just, oh, I'm going to make it better for them than it was for me. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. give them more things, right? I'm going to try and make it easy. It used to be there were helicopter parents, right, hovering over, yeah. but now they're lawnmower parents, mm-hmm. right? They want to mow the pathway for their child, and they're going to do whatever they can. And the problem with that is that these children are not being able to build their own moral ground and, and stability that they're influenced by Satan, uh, the evil one, is more prevalent in their choices. It's so you're so right. And we spend, we're, we're a society that we spend so much time getting them to travel tournaments and doing all the things we do and, and less time on the things that are going to last them for eternity. And that is a that is a great word. And here, here's, here's little dot Richardson. You grow up, you go off to college, you spent one year at Western Illinois. Is that right? Yes, I did way back when, there was no recruiting allowed. It was the wow. AIAW. Remember that? The Association of Intercollegiate Athletics yep. for Women. And Western Illinois had been one of a few northern teams that came down to play the Orlando Rebels, which I've already said I was a, a part yep. of. And because of my age, you know, I was there not in college, and I'm playing against these college teams, and they see they see me. So Coach Kathy Veroni was like, hey, a couple of my players and myself, we went to Western. I played field hockey for the first time in my life, and I played basketball, and I played softball. We came in fifth in the nation at the World Series, and I led the country with a 480 batting average and first-team All-American, blah, 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 right? Um, But I had always wanted to get to UCLA because my junior year in high school, and this is how the Lord speaks to us, right? My junior year in high school, I'm from Florida, UCLA won every single women's major sport in the AIAW. And this was my, in 11th grade. And there was happening, you know, there was some jealousy and envy and there are things that were going on. And I said, you know, if I play with the best, then there's not going to be that. Which is, of course, naive, but in my mind... (laughs) So I'm like, I need to go to UCLA. Well, number one, you know, never had seen UCLA and no idea. My parents said, no way you're going to go that far away. You're going to become a hippie, right? Um, So anyway, everything was great at Western. uh, But because at 17 years of age, the summer before, uh, the previous summer, I made my first USA team. And we went to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and we won a gold medal for the United States in the Pan American Games that first, for the first time, hosted softball. And uh, while I was there, I met the basketball team and the head coach happened to be UCLA's basketball coach. So she went back 
and she watches play. And she went back and told the softball coach, Sharon Backus, about me. And so Sharon thought that I was still a senior. Um, and then now knowing, you know, I'm at Western Illinois, she told my head coach, Marge Ricker, for the Orlando Rebels, that if I'm, you know, ever interested to call her. And I wasn't going to at first. I, you know, I thought I'd made an obligation. So I was going to wait for two years and maybe transfer. And my big sister called and she said, you always want to go to UCLA. Mom and dad are going to tell you what to do, but I am. So you're going. <laughs> that is so good. And then you go to UCLA and help them win their first of 11 NCAA championships starting in 82. How, how fulfilling is that to know that I got to be on the ground floor of not just them winning all the championships, but this is the first year it was an NCAA sport, correct? For correct. women in nineteen in 1982. How, how did that feel to be on that ground level? Amazing. I bet it did. Well, the thing is, and I say it now at Liberty you know, University, I'm like, I'm looking for players that are like myself in regards to you want to create the dynasty, not just That's jump right. in. That's right? good. Like a lot of people, they want to follow the crowd, right? Or say, oh, I want to be in the World Series, so I'm going to go to this school because they're in the World Series a lot. At Liberty University, as the Lord is blessing us so much, and in our softball program also, you know, you look at, I we are getting these players that are turning down those, you know, power five schools because they feel the Lord leading them here and they want a faith-based school that is competitive and they want to be at the ground level, right? Mm -hmm. They want to start the dynasty and it's happening. We've been three wins away from the World Series. Uh, we went from 276 when I inherited the team in RPI, which meant there were only 20 worst teams in the country, uh, RPI wise for strength of schedule to where we're as you know, high as 22 in the nation. Mm -hmm. So the Lord's working and these kids that want to glorify him with the gifts they've been given. And once when you start that ball rolling, when you win a World Series championship, uh, forget about it. You know, it's just, you know, it's almost like it's unstoppable when you do it right, right? Um, but yeah, there's something to say about those individuals. And that was, you know, our, our team to be able to, you know, look beyond just what it meant to win, but just to compete. Mm. And as the results are talents meant that we won. I don't know if that makes sense to you, Mike. It, you know, it does. It makes perfect sense. You don't, perfect you don't sense. want to look at what the prize is, right? You're, you're, uh, you're not focused on what you get out of it. You're focused on what you put into it. That's right. I, old Zig Ziglar, the old motivational speaker, used to say, we don't pay the price, we reap the benefits. He said, we yeah. only pay the price when we don't do it. But we reap the benefits when we do. And boy, did y'all reap the benefits in your career there. Three-time softball MVP, uh, average career. Uh, your career batting average was 349, 1980s NCAA player of the decade. And I heard you talk about being a leadoff hitter too. And I love to hear, boy, you know, there. I was a pitcher. And in fact, on the ground that your softball field sits on at Liberty was where I used to pitch. So hopefully all the home runs got out before you got there because I did not, it didn't end up, you don't end up pastoring coach that if your, if your career was as uh, good as it should have been. So um, 
you talked about being a leadoff hitter, and I can I can imagine in my mind's eye that person who can't wait to get to the on deck on deck spot to eyeball the pitcher down to get a game started. Why did you love being a leadoff hitter? What was it about it that you said just fueled you in your soul? The leadership that comes involved with that leadoff position is setting the tone for the game. Mm. So I was always selected uh, to lead off. There were a couple times I didn't. I, was, I hit third a couple games and um, ended up being up there with two outs a lot, <laughs> so, which wasn't bad because I got a lot of steals, you know, when I was on first yep. base. Um, but, you know, the leadoff position is where kind of I have been for most of my career. And I think it's because not only having a good eye, but the thing is that I was aggressive. Mm. and coaches have different opinions. Like they want to lead off. Who's going to take a lot of pitches. I was not that lead off. I was lead off when she throws a first strike and it's my pitch. That's all I do is focus on my pitch. And if it's my pitch, it's history. I'm attacking it. Um, rarely took strikes at all. Obviously, uh, not, I was focused in the zone. So I never took swings at bad pitches, stayed off rise balls, never was tempted with those. Cause I trained myself you know, to never lift the knob of your bat, right? When that motion started, it was a no-go. Yeah. But I learned to zone in on the small rectangle that got bigger and bigger, the tunnel coming into your strike zone. And uh, obviously with no strikes, it had to be my pitch or I wasn't going for it. And then with one strike on me, it was just a little bigger. Uh, I always say the secret to never striking out is to never getting two strikes on you. That's right. And so the mentality I have when you're facing some of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game that are throwing a white ball 40 feet away, not a yellow ball, 43 feet away, it is all about reaction. So my swing was very compact. Uh, you, have, you can't do these long, you know, swoopy swings. You have to be able to, I call it now triangulating, but as you track the ball with your nose and your knob, you know, with the oncoming pitch. Uh, when I saw it there, it was like my eyes got so big, you know, and and I tried to do, and I learned at a very young age, something that I've tried to teach our kids to do, and it looks like it's, you know, happening. Um, I didn't have to mention it as much in the past couple of years, but I tried to do what they say is scientifically impossible, and that is to see the bat, the ball off of the bat, Right. So at that impact, my goal was not to watch where the ball went. That's a fan's job, right? My job is to put on a show, and that show is I'm going to rip the cover off of that ball. I can't imagine with today's bats, right, and a yellow ball, mm. you know, how much fun that's got to be when that ball flies off the bat, right? Um, but I'm a table setter, but, you know, I occasionally hit home runs, uh, I just never focused on home runs. My goal was just, I was going to, I was going to hit the center of the ball and just rip the cover off of it. And my job was not to get a hit or even to get on base. My job was to set the tone so that every hitter behind me knew, man, if dot can hit it like that, I can sure hit it like that. Right. Did, did that describe you as a player? Do you think that your mentality of how you approach the box and how you approached an at bat was your mentality as an athlete overall? Oh, without a doubt. I think my, the mindset was again, having a freedom. I don't see that today, no. a freedom 
to compete, a freedom to express the gifts God's given you. You're not worried about what the coach is thinking or your teammates are thinking or your opponent is thinking or what the fans think or what all of the fans watching on TV are thinking and is the camera on me. Man, you are what I call one with the ball. Mm -hmm. One with the ball. Nothing else exists. And the biggest compliment anyone could ever give me is when they were on my team or an opponent I played against, that they would say, because Dot was on the field, I played better. So if I could lift up my teammates to a level they thought was never possible for them to, to perform at, and whether I had that in quotation power or not, my teammates knew I believed in them, that I was giving every single thing that I had, and there was nothing I was going to leave on the field um, to, to be there for them. And I would like to think that every one of my teammates knew I did that for, for them, you know, but it's really for the love of the game, yep. right? Just the love of the game. And it's contagious. Yep. I'll hear some kids say, you know, there's only in high school, there's like a couple of us that really care. And I said, so keep caring. That's You'll right. be the best you can be. And if your teammates don't want to rise to that level, they're one day going to look back and say, man, look where they are yep. and where I could have been. So if you live your life with no would have, should haves or could haves and do it in that narrow path that God says, right? The, it's a narrow path. People want to take this wide path, right? Of saying, oh, I don't want to miss out on all this, what they think is fun, but really it's corruption, right? It leads you, you know, into a sinful world or away from the Lord. But if you do it right, man, there's nothing like it. And yes. you are, you're just an inspiration for other people to look and say, wow, what does she or he have that I'm missing? That's right. And they want to know, and that's your opportunity and your platform to say, Jesus Christ, do you know him? Yep. That's so you good. Trust him. That's so good. And I, and I love that. I love that image because it, it reflects who you are and it flexes how you lead, whether you're at UCLA, then you go on to an incredible year career with Pan Am games and then the Olympics in 96 and 2000. And I think so many people had heard the name dot Richardson from those Olympics. And I believe 96 was the first year softball was an Olympic sport. Is that correct? That is correct. And so you got to be a part of putting on the red, white, and blue. I know it was amazing to put it on, but had you in your mind's eye seen yourself there long before they told you, hey, you get to be on the Olympic team? Had you seen that God had something more for you? What would you say? Well, when I was seven years old, our family sat down in the living room and watched the Olympic Games on TV. And it was the first time in my life that I saw the Olympics. And I saw a pole vulture go over a bar. And when he landed on the mat, he jumped up and he looked up and he saw the bar hadn't fallen. And he had captured the Olympic gold medal. So his arms like reached up into the heavens, right? They're reaching up. And then this camera scanned everyone in the Coliseum and it was standing ovation. And they were all chanting, USA, USA, USA. Well, that night I went to bed and I had a dream. Mm. 
that I was standing on a podium and I bent down and an Olympic gold medal was put around my neck. I was seven years old. I wasn't even able to play little league, right? I couldn't play any sports because I'm born a girl. Didn't matter how good I was, just didn't matter. But yet I had this big dream. So I mentioned at 17 years of age, when even my coach who had me on the team since I was 13 said, well, it'll be a good experience for you. I don't think you're going to make it. But my mom on my way getting into the plane for alone at 17, flying on my, for the first time on my own, said, you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to make it. After one week of trying out, I made it. And I made my first USA team. We went to San Juan, Puerto Rico. We won the gold medal. And when I bent down and that Pan American gold medal was put around my neck, as grateful as I was, when I stood up, my first thought was, I thought the dream was an Olympic gold medal. Five world, five world championships, five Pan American games, other international competitions. Every time a gold medal was put around my neck, I just thought the dream was an Olympic gold medal. In 1992, in Barcelona, baseball was in the Olympics and we thought softball would get in. And I was in medical school at the time. Oh my goodness. And they said, no. So I knew, I thought, (laughs) see the negativity in our lives. I'm like, well, I guess the dream wasn't an Olympic dream. There's no way it's going to happen. Oh, God is almighty, right? It's amazing. Mm. So when the 1996 Olympics was going to happen, that was the day that when we found out I was handing over my match list from medical school, where I'd find out where I'd match for my orthopedic residency program. And I almost didn't want to let go of it. I mean, that's how much, you know, how hard do we like hold on to things and don't want to just give it to the Lord, right? We want to, right? We want to just control our destiny. So when I handed it over, man, again, God is amazing. I ended up matching at USC in Southern California and the, one of the largest orthopedic residency programs in the world with 12. And it just so happened as I secretively was trying out for the first ever Olympic team that there was a orthopedic residency program in Tampa that had folded. And one of those residents came into my class at USC. So our orthopedic class had 13. So when I was on Sports Illustrated when I was in, you know, the centerfold of the people section and the word got out that I was secretively trying out for the Olympics. The USC orthopedic program with Mike, uh, Michael Padzakis, uh, he called me into the office and said that the board had elected to give me a one-year leave of absence. Wow. To go for my childhood dream of Olympic gold. And I didn't put a burden on anyone else because we had 13, yep. right? So now it was back to 12 for my class. And I had a year leave of absence. I had not made the team yet. And that was the end of June in 1995. And I continued to try out. And on September 5th, they announced the first ever mm. United States Olympic softball team. And I was one of yours selected. And we played in Columbus, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta in the Atlanta games in 96. Couldn't have wrote, written it more perfectly because my family's from Florida and New York, you know, and they all emerged on 
you know, in that beautiful stadium. That's right. A baseball stadium converted to fast pitch softball. And man, it was, I was living the dream, everybody. I mean, afterwards, I wrote the book, Living the Dream. Uh, when your childhood dream 27 years later comes to pass when you are bending down an Olympic gold medal, you know, is placed around your neck. And when I stood up, I knew I was living that childhood dream of Olympic gold. And with the thousands of people there straight in front of me was my mom and dad who had believed in the gifts God had given their youngest daughter and supported her every step of the way. It was, I mean, it was like beyond words. In fact, I'm, I'm not a crier, <laughs> but people ask, what was it like, you know, as an Olympian on that gold medal podium? Imagine an Olympic gold medal put around your neck for the first time in Olympic history. An individual denied the opportunity to play because of being born a girl and to just trusting God and just becoming one with the ball, living every single moment, not taking it for granted that I had, to be able to then hear the national anthem as your teammates now have their gold as well. And we turn and we face right field and over the right field bleachers is lifted the United States a flag and listening to our national anthem. In the biggest athletic moment of my life, the most overwhelming feeling was humility. Mm, mm. I was bawling because at that moment, it wasn't about what I had done, right? It wasn't even about what we had done. I just felt so humbled because, and so small, because I realized that we had opened the door for opportunity for those in the future but we were somehow connected to be able to live for those who'd always dreamt about it and were never given the opportunity. You know what I mean? Yep. And you talked about the first NCAA championship, right? There's only one first, right? And to do this at the Olympics and to just continually through the years, remember that dream. I got brave enough one day to say to a reporter, who that pole vaulter was. And I remember his name, imagine as a seven-year-old. And I wasn't sure if I was just, you know, dreaming it, but Bob Seagram. Hmm. And he goes, oh my gosh, yeah, that's the pole vaulter that won the gold medal, right? Um, and you know, the biggest thing for that Olympics to me was it was the Olympics of Title IX, right? The biggest thing for me, when you saw all the women teams for the United States win, you know, volleyball, the beach volleyball for women, women's basketball for the United States, soccer, synchronized swimming, uh, softball. I mean, I could go on, right? The biggest thing for me was I remember after we had won the gold medal, they had all these security guards that were lining the field, right, to make sure fans weren't running in. And I looked up and there was a boy and a girl standing side by side, reaching over the railing to try and reaching their, their hands out to try and, it, and live the moment with us. And it was so impactful for me because there was a boy and a girl mm. together, mm. recognizing the gifts that God had given to these athletes, no matter what gender, right? And that to me was Olympic, yes. you know, 
And what's Olympic is, can all of us just look around and see God and see not only on the earth and the design and the perfection, you know, of just if the earth was even a few, you know, few meters closer to the sun, right? We would burn up a few away. We would freeze to death. But to look at each other and say, wow, how special each of us are, you know, has specially, you know, designed and a purpose for each of us, not one more special than another, but all of us collectively, you know, special because, you know, we're made in the image of God. And those of us that believe are children of God and it's it's he gives us those moments and he that was one of my moments how many how many games do you estimate you played in all your years of playing softball how many games do you think you have under your belt i have no idea i mean from i played when i was from 10 years of age to 39 in the 2000 olympics and you play a minimum of 60 to 70 games in the summer and that doesn't include high school games and, um, you know, college would add another 40, you know, to college. And, and now college, we play 56 regular games and then postseason is added onto that. But, uh, and then I played for the United States as well. Yeah. I know going into the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia, we were 118 and 0, 119 and 0. Um, but you guys, we never knew that because we didn't focus on winning or losing. Yeah. You know what I mean, Mike? It's like, it's not about winning or losing. It's about when you step on the field, are you ready for battle? Are you ready to compete? Are you ready even when you feel your worst yeah. to give it your best? Mm. Right? Like, that's what the challenge is. That's right. And you take that life lesson in sport and bring it to life. When you don't feel like getting up in the morning, but you got a job to do, you get up. And my parents always said, and I know the Lord says this well, if you're going to do something, do it right. That's right. That's so right? right. That's exactly right. And so you go on after the 2000 Olympics and you finish your medical journey. You get your, your, doc, your, your doctor's degree, your uh, MD degree. You go on and serve in that. And then the softball world brings you back. You're at Liberty oh University gosh. now. Tell yeah. me how in the world, after all of the academics and the work, did you go, I think this is what I'm supposed to. Because you had your softball association going and your hands were in it, but bringing you back into the full-time world of it, what was the draw that you said, I think this is where the Lord wants us? Well, there's no thinking about it. I knew. Mm. And this is why. After the residency program at USC, I did a sports medicine fellowship with Curlin Job in LA. Worked with the Dodgers, the Lakers, the Sparks, the Mighty Ducks, the Avengers, the Kings, the Galaxy, right? And I made the 2000 Olympic team. So we go down to Sydney, Australia. It was such adversity. It was unbelievable. Um, we had lost three games in a row. And we came back to win the second Olympic gold medal in the history of the Olympics for our sport of softball and brought it back to the USA. Now, that alone inspired me a book that one day I, I'm going to write called Living the Nightmare. Mm. Um, because again, another life lesson, life isn't always easy, That's right. right? People look and say, oh, Dot, you know, you became a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, and you're a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Life is easy for you. No, it's not. 
But the difference is how do you look at your life? Mm. Trials and tribulation in the book of James, it says what? We should find pure joy. And you're like, what? When life is terrible, I'm supposed to like find joy? Yes, because it puts your eyes beyond yourself. It puts your eyes up, you know, to God and realize, Lord, I need you. Mm. I want you. And so that that's what happens. And when you do that, that's truly golden, right? Um, so after the Olympics in 2000 and we won the gold, uh, I mean, I could, I felt like I could keep playing. I mean, I played second base and I'm like, I could play second for another three decades. Right. Um, but instead it was time I go, okay, it's time to grow up. Right. It's time for me to move on. (laughs) And so Bob and I planned our wedding and we got married in 2001, September 9th. Yes. It was three days before 9-11 in 2001. So everyone remembers our, our anniversary, but, um, I also had gotten a job right outside of Orlando and Claremont and, um, my license oversaw the athletic trainers at Disney's Wild World Sports and was a part of that. And, and it was a beautiful campus, a 300 acre sports health and education campus. I worked at Southwick hospital. And so Ray Richardson orthopedics and everything was great. And then after a year, um, there was a business manager uh, thing that went on that I got a notice saying, well, your services are no longer rendered. You have three days to remove your items from the office. And I was like, what? You know, we had just bought a home there. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Don't we do that? What do I do? And then all of a sudden I'm like, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Mm-hmm. I can't fix this. I don't know what to do. It's all yours. And I mean, Mike, I mean, the weight just came off my shoulders and it's going to sound weird, but I just visualized just the most beautiful powder blue sky, like the dark clouds of darkness. Like it was, I just, it was all cleared. And it was like, why did I take that job? Why? Because of the national training center at the hospital, South Lake hospital. And I just felt the Lord was saying, you got to go to the hospital and work for the hospital. So in the morning, my husband comes over and he goes, uh, you know, Al is on the phone. This is a friend of ours. I happened to put a, do a total knee on. Um, and, and he was like, listen, I know this is a hard time, but I believe you're meant to affect more than 250 patients a year. You need to go to the hospital and see how you can get involved at the National Training Center. Oh my gosh. It was like the Lord is speaking through Al, wow. right? So I jump in the car, I'm driving to the hospital and I realize, oh my gosh, the CEO, she doesn't even know I'm even coming. So I get on the phone and I call and she had just got out of a meeting and she gave me an hour of her time and she said, don't make any decision yet. So went home, just giving it to the Lord in prayer. And two days later, the, uh, the doctor that I was working with called back and said, oh, we want you back. And, you know, the business manager, manager he was, you know, acting out of, you know, uh, a poor decision, whatever. But already I was like, um, I'll, I'll let you know. And next thing you know, the executive director calls me and she comes over to the house actually and the COO and she said, uh, we'd love to hire you to be the executive director of the National Training Center. And I was like, I knew it was a God thing. And I'm all smiles right now because, you know, God hears our prayers and he is faithful, right? 
So I became the executive director of a 300-acre sports health and education campus, working with a hospital, working with sport, raised money. Uh, one was $3 million to build a you know, softball facility. It's, it was fantastic. Had almost 200 and some you know, employees underneath me. And, um, you know, just was, again, I just felt I was living God's purpose. So then about 12 years later, a new C CEO, and he was there when I was hired. And with Obamacare, the decision was as a not-for-profit hospital, what do we do with sports mm -hmm. in track, cross-country, and soccer, and field hockey, and softball, and swimming? And I mean, you know, what do we do with this national training center? Well, a consultant said, we need to get not-for-profits to run each one. So I'm excited. I go into the new CEO's office a year later, and he said, well, I've made a decision. He said, here's your six-month termination notice. You have six months to form a not-for-profit, and we'll have that not-for-profit run the softball venue. And right away, and it's so funny because I just praise the Lord for this. I, I'm, I'm at a point in my life, you know, that I have, I've gotten there through my relationship with the Lord where I just trust him. And instead of like, oh, poor is me and woe is me, my first thought is, okay, God, what do you have in store for me? And this is where the fun begins. My attorney gets a not-for-profit I had up to speed for the softball venue. And about a week later, I'm asked to run for mayor for the city of Claremont, right outside of Orlando. So I'm like, man, God wants me in politics, right? So I had to go to my husband. I said, you know, Bob... I was asked to run for mayor. What do you think? He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, everyone's going to know where we live. I said, honey, everyone knows where we live. But anyway, so then a week later, I was asked to run for county commission. And I go to Bob. I said, honey, I was asked to run for county commission. This group of 12 people came to me. And he was like, well, oh, all right. I can kind of see that. So I go back to the group and I said, you know, I'm seriously thinking about running for county commission with, you know, your support. And they said, Dodd, if you like politics, we will support you to run for U.S. Senate for the state of Florida in five years. So I know, Mike, God wants me in politics, right? So all of a sudden, I give it to the Lord in prayer. It's 11 o'clock at night. Heavenly Father, how can I serve you more with the time I have left on earth? You have my soul already. How can I serve you? whatever it is, if it's politics, whatever, I'm all in, but I'm praying. As you say to prayer, to pray, I need you to let me know for sure this is what you want me to do, whatever it is, and I'll be all in. Mike, at nine o'clock the next morning, out of the blue, I received a phone call from the athletic director at Liberty University, Jeff Barber. And Jeff said, he introduced himself. He said, our previous softball coach is retired. They're look, I'm looking for a new coach. We're looking for a new coach to replace him that has a name in the game. who can bring some instant credibility to the program. And I said, where is Liberty University? <laughs> he said, Lynchburg, Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and we are the largest Christian university in the world. Mike, my jaw dropped because instantly the Lord reminded me of the prayer I had the night before. Mm. 
Mm. He said, we want to put Liberty softball on the map. I said, what does that mean to you to win uh, conference championships and world series, you know, Lord willing world series championships with an S right. And financially we'll give you the budget and we want to build a stadium and we'd like for you to design it. And I said, sir, I am humbled by this opportunity, but you may not realize this. I have never head coached in college before. And he said, in quotes, we realize that, but we feel the Lord is leading us to you. Mike chills. I, and then I call my husband and he said, this is a God thing mm. and we have to do this. I go, what are the odds, right? I'm like, <laughs> what? And so we flew out and, you know, it's funny. I said, Bob, you know, normally people come south, not north, That's right? right, that's right. But he said, when God calls, we have to do it. That's right. And my husband started FCA softball and that's a whole nother story. He did, he knew the Lord, but he wasn't really practicing in his faith and seeking the Lord. Uh, and then all of a sudden his dad had passed and I had, you know, convinced him to go to church with me. And, and then the Lord just grabbed him. The Holy spirit grabbed him and he became an ordained minister online program for three years, started FCA softball. And I'm telling you guys that are listening, be that godly man, you know, be that spiritual leader in the family. Uh, he is a different man. And it is so evident and so clear, a different husband. Um, God is just so faithful, right? And he's just so amazing. Um, so we came here to Liberty and, oh my gosh, talk about humble beginnings, right? Humble. But boy, we felt the Lord's presence. This is an amazing campus. The Holy Spirit was calling us here. We just knew it. And how do you know it, people? You know it because... The Lord says when you're doing his will that you feel this peace that transcends all understanding. And that you're like, well, Dot, what do you mean all understanding? The softball field was like a rec field. Yeah, that's right. It was. Our our offices were in a double wide trailer. Yep. But as I walked into that double wide trailer for the first time after accepting the job, I started smiling. And my husband at the time, who was one of my assistants, and Paige, you know, Cassidy, our pitching coach at the time, they said, coach, why are you smiling? And I'm like, because the first moment I saw UCLA and I walked on campus into their offices, it was in a construction tra- uh, trailer. Mm. And I said, maybe the Lord is foreshadowing what we can do for him at this university through our sport. And sure enough, I mean, living up to their word again, godly, you know, you know, godly influences and godly people within the first week that we started, I was in a construction meeting, you know, just, they said, coach, what do you want in a softball stadium? And I told them and they built it. And we've got probably the largest budget in the country. We're supported. Um, In fact, you know, there've been rumors that they feel that softball might be the first sport to win a world series championship, NCAA championship, Um, you know, but, uh, we got some great, I mean, field hockey, lacrosse, I mean, baseball's moving up, basketball, and football's now yep. FBS. You should see, I'm looking out of my office right now, you guys, it is like the construction that has happened 
billions of dollar construction to build God's campus, right? I mean, that's right. It's it's Mike, you've been here. It's mm. you know, your Taj Mahal is. I'm looking at it right now with baseball. What you helped to build. Um, we are we have the softball stadium where your field it, you know used to be, but from the beautiful from medical school and. I'll be talking there a little bit later, you know, but, you know, the library and the health science building and the music and performing arts and the the dormitories, the Freedom Tower for the School of Divinity, the new business, the indoor track, the indoor natatorium, the indoor practice facility, the extension of the football facility, the Liberty Athletic Center, the, you know, just softball I mentioned and baseball and the Welcome Center and you guys, I can go on and on how this yeah. university has just just grown so much. And the focus is always training champions for Christ. And we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. It's it's not heaven on earth, but boy, it feels like it's the closest we can get, right? <laughs> it is. And I, and I love, and you talked so much earlier about vision and being a part of a legacy and be- beginning. And I think of Dr. Falwell, the original Dr. Falwell. and and I remember what it looked like in 1987. I remember showing up there and there was nothing. And to see what it is now, it's the power of a vision. And it's the power of him seeing what we're living on, what you're living on. He saw it. He felt it. He knew it. And and the thought that y'all are taking a sport, but teaching something so much bigger than the sport. And the sport, the sport is a wonderful thing. All the sports are wonderful things, but there's something so much bigger. What do you pray every girl who plays for you? What do you play they live with? Because they're, they're leaving with lots of wins. Y'all won 40 or more games in 17, 18, 19, and you're building a winning field team. What do you pray those girls leave with even more than the wins and the losses? What would you say? I pray they see Jesus Christ in each of us as a staff, right, as their coaches. I pray they see um, that the Lord wants us to have a servant heart to serve others and to show boldly how Christ uh, is our Savior. And when they leave here, not just with a degree, but with a devotion and a commitment to let the world see how Christ is working in their lives so they can bring others to his kingdom. You guys, the Bible is real. Uh, we, I went through in the very beginning with our team, how do we know God exists? How do we know that the theory of evolution is wrong? It can't be right. Um, And it's not just because we say so, it's science proves it's not right. Uh, That how is the Bible truthful? Well, it's inerrant, inspired um, by the word of, you know, by God, it's his word to us, but it's infallible. How do we know that? And so we went through all of that, you know, the, you know, faith is, is strong, but the question is, if you doubt, find the answers, seek the answers. And they're at a university where they can really find the answers. But everyone, listen, you can find the answers. You have doubts. I challenge you to seek the truth, right? And the truth will lead you to our creator, God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when you know that what you're reading in the Bible is the word from God to you and the instruction manual, 
look at what it says. And when you see it, you know how it's going to end. You know who's on the winning team. And you can answer the questions, why do we have to die? Why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil in the world? If you want to know what God had planned for us, read the first two chapters in the Bible and the last two. Everything is between is because we messed it up, right? And Satan was given this domain. And because we chose him in the Garden of Eden, we will continue. And even now we choose him, unfortunately, right? So I share that because the end times, we're getting closer and closer. And the Bible says it, right? The rapture is imminent, meaning we don't know when it's going to happen, but there are signs of the time. And understand that because once when you do, you realize you want to start being bold about it and talking to people about it. it says, are you, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, Lord and Savior? Do you realize he came from heaven, came to earth, he died on the cross for our sins as a perfect sacrificial lamb that is a permanent fix for those who set their eyes on him and accept him. And as he died, he rose from the dead, right? To overcome death so that we will be resurrected and overcome death and be with him for eternity. And as crazy as that seems, how simple it is to just believe, that's what's awesome about it. We can't earn our way there. You cannot do it with works, right? But let our works show Christ in us and what we do. And that's what I hope that everyone who listens here, everyone, you know, bold in yourself as believers. And if you don't believe, seek the truth. I mean, seek it. I challenge you. I dare you. Um, and you're going to find it. And for our kids, when they leave this program, I pray that they are so strong in their faith that when the world comes after them, and Satan will, that they will stand truth on the word of God. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Coach Richardson. You know, there was a statement she made in the middle of the interview where I asked her why she liked being a leadoff hitter, and she said, I was the one that set the tone for the game. You know, I just have a feeling that that's who she is no matter where she's at. She sets the tone. She sets the pace. Leaders always set the pace. They never find it from others. They set it themselves and others follow. And Coach Richardson, today for us, I know she set the pace. Thank you, Coach Dot Richardson, for your investment in our Lynch with a Leader audience, because I know we sure left a little bit better. Well, in our next episode, we are going to continue in the route of learning from people that have excelled. And this one, we get to sit down with a gentleman that was a uh, also walking the, the, the hills of Lynchburg, Virginia with me back in the late 1980s. We didn't know each other, probably crossed paths a thousand times, but we're not uh, acquaintances while we were there. Stefan Leary. Stefan is doing in the sport of basketball what Coach Richardson is doing in the sport of softball, and that's using it to change others' lives. You are going to love Stefan. He is an amazing, amazing man, and it's going to be fun. So thanks again for listening in today. I hope you'll go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. 
Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 